today's scripture comes from Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 29. It says this, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross." Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions, for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Oh, good morning, everybody. Wow, we've got, some, we've got some amazing things to dive into. Wasn't that just, uh, that is, there's some amazing things that Paul just lays out there. And I want to just uh, introduce us into this amazing passage that sums up so powerfully and beautifully what it means to follow Jesus, why we believe in Jesus, why we follow him, what it looks like. But to start us off, I want to just reintroduce the title series. It's called Raised with Christ couple reasons for that. This whole series, as we go through the book of Colossians, is predicated on this belief that when Jesus died, he didn't stay dead, but that he rose from the dead. And we just celebrated this idea, this belief that Jesus rose from the dead called Easter. The idea that Jesus rose from the dead is not something that only says something about him, because it does. It says a lot about him if he rose from the dead it also says something about us. And being raised with Christ in this whole letter of Colossians is Paul's attempt to help us understand that if you believe that Jesus rose from the dead, then that resurrection life is going to come into your life. And if it comes into your life, it's going to begin to change you from the inside out. So what does it look like to participate in Jesus' resurrection life? What does it mean to have that life like a blood transfusion transfused into you. That's what we're exploring. And since we're coming off Easter, I want to just remind us, Easter was amazing, and we got to have our sunrise service, and God was moving so powerfully. And I want to thank all of you guys for the 
risk that a lot of you took to invite people to Easter. You know, I want to thank you for the invites that you put out that people didn't follow up on. Maybe you put an invite out and someone didn't say yes, or they just said yes, but couldn't quite make it. I want to thank you just as much for those who put the invitations out and people came because we had, look at that. Look at all those people packing it in at Pano Beach. It was so awesome. God was just on the move, filling up the beach, filling up the sanctuary. We came back in the nick of time. We were able to do two more services, packed to the gills with people. And in large part, because you guys are an inviting and welcoming church, and it's a privilege to be a part of this church with you. I want to share one of those stories of invitation and how it changed someone's life, but also to give us a glimpse into what this raised life is. What does it mean to be raised with Jesus? This story is going to help you get a taste of what this looks like, okay? Get a sense of what it's about. This comes from a story about a young woman named Mia, who, and it's about her journey with Jesus and what it began to look like in her life to be raised up with Jesus into his life. Listen to this story. She writes, I gave my life to Jesus after my grandmother passed about two years ago, but I didn't allow God to be a part of every aspect of my life until this year. At the start of the year, I decided to start sharing with my friends and get this, and be all in for Jesus. Can you just say all in with me? She's like, okay, I'm following you, Jesus, but there's, oh, you know, if I'm honest, there's some areas that I've not wanted to let you into, and it's in her friendships. Check this out. She says, I was thinking about the rich man and how Jesus invited him, but he couldn't give up his riches. Do you guys remember that story? My relationships were my riches. I didn't know how I could be me without my friends and family. I didn't want to give them up, so I asked Jesus what to do and surrendered it to him. I think the assumption is when we let Jesus into every area of our life, he's just maybe a deep fear, he's going to ruin it. You know, if you let Jesus into your workplace, oh, he's just going to get you fired. You know, it's like inviting that crazy uncle, you know, to the family party. He's like, oh, he's going to mess it all up. I love Jesus, but man, I would not want him at work with me. You know, if I invite Jesus into my dating life, if I invite Jesus into my friendships, man, I'm going to have to lose those friendships. But watch what happens. She says, I told him I'm going to give everything I have to you. Now watch what Jesus says to her. She says, and Jesus was really sweet, and he told me, we're not going to leave everyone behind. We're going to revive them. And Jesus begins to awaken in her this faith that as you walk with me, Mia, and you share in my life, through you, I'm going to share my life with your friends and the people around you who don't know you. So she writes, I asked my family and discipleship group and Bible study to also be praying for my friend Lucy, who was not walking with Jesus, that she would be open and that God would do the rest. I invited her to Easter sunrise service with a bunch of my friends because I was getting baptized after service. And I was praying that she would experience Jesus and invite him into her life. And when the invitation was given, she stood up. 
and in shock and filled with awe, we hugged. I can't put into words the emotions and beauty I felt because his presence was so powerful. Pay attention. His presence was powerful. It felt like God had been chasing all of us for a long time, and we could feel like he was saying, I missed you to our friend. It was a taste of what it's like to be in heaven. Come on. Now, that right there, this right here is the raised life. Now, when you think of being raised with Jesus, I think sometimes we think, okay, yeah, when I die, you're going to raise me up, right, Jesus? That's the whole shtick, right? I surrender my life to you now. I keep doing whatever I want, but when I die, boom, we're together. We're in, all right? I'm with you in heaven. And yeah, kind of, kind of not, too. That life begins to fill your life now and here, and your identity begins to take on a new life because of Jesus. Your sense of purpose begins to change because Jesus's purpose is coming into you and your life is now, your purpose, your identity was here before Jesus and it's like getting brought up where you belong with him. That's the raised life that Paul wants to walk us into and he wants to show us how every one of us right here in this room, no matter where you're coming from, no matter how unreligious you are, no matter how long you've been a Christian, every one of us can get in on this life. And he's gonna show us how, how to get in on this raised life that we're gonna be looking at every week as we go through Colossians. All right, so this is our focus for today. What does it mean for us to be raised with Christ? There's three things I wanna highlight because to be raised with him is to accept he's done something for us that we cannot do but we still have to respond to him. There's, there's still something that we can do to participate and respond to what God has done. Here it is. Number one, we can be raised with Christ if one, we're willing to believe in who he is. Number two, we're willing to receive what he has done for us. And number three, this is so exciting. You get to join what he is doing in the world. These three things, believing, receiving, and joining this is the raised life with Christ. So let's start off with believing, all right? What are we being asked to believe? All right, G all right I'm interested, I'm kind of curious, but what exactly am I being asked to believe? I'm so glad you asked because Paul has an answer for us. He starts this whole section about Jesus. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And he goes into this amazing, it's almost like a poem, it's like an ancient song. It's just like this vision of Jesus before he was physically born in the manger, this exalted, high and lifted up view of Jesus that maybe for some of us this morning is foreign to you. And I want to unpack it to help it make sense to you, all right? So it would start with, what are we being asked to believe in? Listen to this. Paul said, the same guy who wrote Colossians said this in Romans. He said, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be what? Saved. Saved. Now, this is profound. The idea that if you believe in this person, your life is gonna change forever. Believing in Jesus changes you. 
And when you believe and respond by what? Like confessing, by acknowledging, a little bit like at a wedding when you like, okay, all right, I'm sensing there's something between me and you. Maybe it's forever. Let's exchange some rings and some vows. The exchanging of those vows is manifesting something that's happening on the inside. That's the believing. Okay, sweetie, I'm in love with you. She's in love with me. So our words reflect that movement of heart. And that's what the Bible is saying about you and God. That when you start to believe in God, it's like falling in love with somebody. And when you're ready to say, Jesus, I'm yours, it's like a moment where, like in vows, where you're like giving your life to him and he begins to give his resurrected life to you. But what are we being asked to believe in? Who are we falling in love with? Check this out. Um, Paul in verses 15 and 19 just lays it out comprehensively, thoroughly, and he starts with who Jesus is before Jesus was born in that manger, that sweet little baby Jesus. He starts with Jesus before all creation, and he says this, the Son is the image of the invisible God. Now let's talk about that. What does it mean that Jesus is the Son of God? All right, this speaks to Jesus' divinity, that Jesus is more than just a good person who said great things. Now, maybe you've met some good people in your life, people who've changed your life, your parents. Maybe someone you've studied in school, someone who inspired you. Martin Luther King Jr., maybe that guy fired you. Maybe that guy fired you up. Maybe there's someone in history that's, or someone today, an artist, or someone who's doing something in life that you want to do, and they inspire you, an athlete, right? Um, Alex Morgan plays for the Women's World Cup na- you know, team, and my family and I love the Women's National Team. And my daughter I got to go see with some friends, um, the new pro women's team, The Wave, playing here in San Diego. And Alex Morgan, one of the premier strikers for that team, is in that club playing here in San Diego. Come on. And when you see Alex play, it just inspires you to want to play soccer like her. Now, that's all good. But Jesus is beyond that. Jesus is not just an example or someone to inspire us. Jesus is the Son of God. He is divine, and he's made in God's image. And when you look at Jesus, when you look at his life, when you study the Gospels for yourself, and if you've never done it, I recommend you try it, you are seeing exactly what God is like. When Jesus forgives, that's because God is forgiving. You're seeing Okay, well, listen to how it says in the Bible. Listen to this verse. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. Look at this. The sun is the radiance of God's glory. The exact what? Representation. So when you look at Jesus, you are seeing the Father. He is the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. So, There's his identity, his nature. He is divine. He is in intimate relationship with the Father, Father, Son, Spirit, this amazing mystery, right? The Trinity. He is before all things, Paul says. What does it mean that he is before all things? Well, number one, he is eternal. Jesus is before everything else was created, existing before anything at all, so that everything that we see 
comes from him. I was a bio student at UCSD, and I loved the whole creation evolution discussion, and I loved to talk to my professors, and they would get all riled up, you know, and they like, they just couldn't believe that there I was in their program at UCSD, and I believed in God, and that God made everything. They were like, how do we let this guy sneak in? You know, it just, you could tell it really bothered them, and sometimes they'd like to embarrass me in front of people, but you know, it was fun. And we would talk about creation, and I have no problem that God may have used an evolutionary mechanism towards it. I'm like, okay, you know, hey, maybe that's what God, how God wanted to do that. But no matter how far you go, eventually you've got to go, can something come from nothing? In the end, you can say, yes, an evolutionary mechanism, God is here, but where did the raw material for that evolutionary process, where did that come from? Did it come from what? And you got them. You got them. And they're like, we haven't discovered that yet. <laughs> to which, as Christians, now, as in all humility, we believe that, not that we've discovered it, but it's been revealed to us. Because you can't get something from nothing. Somewhere, if you keep going back, you keep kicking the can down the street, what we see physically has come from something that didn't need anything else to cause it to exist. And we believe that it's Jesus. And that's why when he's on that stormy night in Galilee, he has authority over the ocean. That's why when that man is paralyzed, he could heal that man, forgive his sins, kick demons out of people's lives, and heal us and transform us from the inside out. Because he has authority over all things. Because all things were made by him, in him, and through him. Which, when you think about it, it elevates the dignity of human beings. Human beings aren't just the product of accidental atoms bonding together in an impersonal way. No, you exist because an intelligent, personal being wanted you to exist. And the fact that human beings are irredeemable Resistibly attracted to relationship with each other is a sign that the original cause of your existence and all creation is a relational being who made creation to be in relationship with him. You're, the fact that you are here, that you want to be in relationship with people is evidence that it's not impersonal forces behind creation and behind the world, but a personal being who said, I want you to exist and I love you, and you were made to be in relationship with me. See, that right there is what we believe. He is the head of the church, which means to have Jesus, you've got to take his church too. You can't have one without the other. And today there's a bit of a movement to try to go, I want Jesus, but I don't want the church because of all the bad things that have happened in the church. But Jesus is the head of the church, and they come together. And we are a part of who Jesus is. We are a part of his body. And lastly, he is the firstborn from the dead, which is a reference to his resurrection. And the fact that Jesus rose from the dead means he has authority over everything that could keep us from God, which means he has the power to reverse anything that to us seems irreversible. He has the power to reverse the irreversible, even death. Now that gets us to what he has done. If this is who Jesus is, what he, has he done? Well, let's go back to what Paul says. Jesus is the Son of God, the image of the invisible 
God. The firstborn, all things made by him, in him, through him, for him, means you were made to be in relationship with God, and that's where we get to what he has to have done for us to be restored to that relationship. Listen to this, verse 21. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and what? Free from accusation. This is the freedom that Christians believe in. This freedom from accusation. I want to just unpack this. To understand what Jesus has done, you've kind of got to understand the situation that we're in to begin with. If, you need to, if you're going to understand that he's saving you, you've got to know what he saved you from, which is why we need to know who he is, because you've got to know that not only does he love you enough to save you, he is powerful enough to do it, because just because he loves you doesn't mean he can save you. You know what I mean? You might have someone who loves you, who cares about you, but it doesn't mean they have the power to rescue you. Let me give you an example. I was at Huntington Beach back in high school, and I was doing this junior lifeguard program, and they kind of bumped me up to help lifeguard the OP Pro, this professional surfing competition, and I was so excited, right? I mean, this is back in the day of Baywatch and David Hasselhoff, and I was so pumped <laughs> to get on the back of that Jeep and drive down the beach with have my friends see me with the lifeguard buoy, you know? It just, it's so cool. I was so excited, and the lifeguard is there to save people, and sure enough, someone had drifted into the competition area, and they needed rescuing. The waves were overhead. It was pounding, like only Huntington Beach can, and this was my moment, you know. This is my moment, and everything in me wanted to save those people, all right? Me and three other lifeguards were jamming down the beach on the Jeep, and I was feeling pretty sweet, and we get out in front of the crowd, and we're getting our fins on, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is like some kind of like, you know, fantasy of self-aggrandizement. I mean, I'm living the fantasy, and I'm diving in with every intention of saving these people coming in the back end of the, you know, the shore, a hero. And as I'm swimming, all was going good until the first wave hits, the first set. And I hit the first wave of the first set, which means there's three or four more behind it. And that wave is coming, just looming. And I dive down with fins on, grab sand. And the wave is so powerful, it reaches down to the sand, grabs me, rips my fins off, pulls me off the sand bottom, puts me into five somersaults upside down, and I'm gone. I'm like back at shore in front of everybody. There I am while the two other lifeguards are jamming out, and they were in this. You see, you could have all the right intention and just totally not have the power to do it, but when you are the son of God, when all things are made by you and for you, when you have the ability to get out into the surf and save us when we need it, and that's what Jesus did and that's why we need to know who he is to know what he has done for us. And what he did was he went into our sin and rescued us from death. And that's what we want to talk about right now. Paul uses this word, once you were alienated from God and you were enemies. This is what Jesus is saving us from. What is this alienation from God talking about? He's talking about this idea of sin, this idea that we're going to live our lives without God. I'm going to come up with plans for my life, and I don't need God to be a part of it. This is sin. 
living without God's direction and presence and wisdom at the center of our life. Doing it on our own. Using our great brains, our great gifts and abilities to substitute for him. This is what the Bible diagnoses as sin. And what the Bible says, this creates alienation. It creates distance between us and God. I want to unpack this word alienation. Alienation is like this huge void in the human heart where God alone belongs. And when God is not there, nothing can fill it. It's like you haven't eaten breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You're hungry and you're curious why a Ritz cracker isn't satisfying you. That's what the Bible is saying about our ideas about success or friendship as substitutes for God. It's like, dude, you, you cannot fill that space in you. It's not that those things aren't good. It's that they're not big enough. You know, you're an, you were made for God. I mean, you can't replace God with a job. You know, it's just not enough. It, the job is cool. It's all good. But it's just not big enough. Now, this alienation that Paul's talking about is experience. We feel it. And maybe it doesn't matter how old you are, but I bet you've felt it. Let me explain. It's experienced as a restlessness that we try and soothe by replacing God with other things. For example, we replace the love of God with the love of friendships. That's what Mia is talking about, right? She's talking about surrendering her relationships to God. It's like, as good as those friendships are, she's like, oh, it's just, it's not God. It's trading our significance as children of God for our accomplishments, our grades, our sports, our trophies, our 401ks, our savings. I mean, it just moves on. It's the same thing as when you're a kid and you're accumulating baseball cards or Pokemon Go cards or you're accumulating stickers or whatever. As little kids, we save up, you know, little, little collection hobbies. Really, before God, there's no difference between your sticker collection and the money in your account because in the end, when we're drawing our significance from these things that we possess, they're not God. Money in your account can no more fill God's space in your life than a sticker collection in your notebook. It's just, it's just paper. Come on. Confidence. We replace our confidence in the Holy Spirit living in us and the power of God working through us. We replace that with our confidence in our own abilities. You know what I mean? Come on. What's your ability Whenever I meet a new couple, I love to ask, okay, what was the thing that really got you attracted to them? What was, you know, I'm looking for what's that person's special power, the thing that they use to like really be attractive, you know? You know, what's that thing you put out there, your smile, your eyes, you know, your winning personality, the biceps, come on, boom. Got to make sure she sees this. <laughs> hey, baby, how's it going? Yeah, it's just, uh... I know you're laughing because that's not my special power, as you can see. That's not my special power. But it's the confidence in our abilities that we use to get us by in life, to get what we want out of life, to give us confidence in a situation instead of like God's presence and power, right? Our, intel, our intellect, our finances, our athleticism. Now, these are all gifts and they're good things, 
They're not that, again, it's not that they're bad things. It's just when we, you know, we try to replace them with God. That's the problem. Now, when you do that, it's like replacing all the fruits and vegetables in your life with Skittles, okay? If you look at Skittles, you're gonna see all the colors of the fruits and vegetables represented in that bag of Skittles. It's all there, and you might think, look, man, that's green, this is green right here. That's red, that is red. It all works, and it just, the problem is what? We know in the old days they called it scurvy, you know what I mean? Scurvy, when you don't get fruits and vegetables, you get these, you, you start, your body starts to break down. And people will go on these long uh, voyages overseas in these old pirate ships, remember those old things? And, you know, they were on these cruise liners where they could just go to the kitchen and get some good food. You know, they would run out of fruits and vegetables, right, because they'd be out there for months and that stuff would rot, and they would get scurvy. Now, Skittles will last the whole voyage and not go bad, but it can't replace what those fruits and vegetables give you. Your body breaks down. They call it scurvy. When you don't have God in your life, you get spiritual scurvy. It's called sin. Your body starts to break down. Your spirit breaks down. Your emotional life, your psychological life. Why? Because Jesus is the one who's holding everything together and you're out of orbit with him and you yourself, you begin to disintegrate and your life will fall into chaos, not because we're, you know, oh, you're not in that religion or you're not doing all the right things, but you're separated from the one who holds everything together. You're, you were made for vitamin D and C and A and all the things that vegetables and fruits give you. But living your life without God is like living your life on Skittles and saying, forget it. Man, who wants strawberries? Who wants raspberries? Ugh. Who wants mango? Juicy, ripe mango, the color of a rich sunset in the fall. No, I'd rather have a Skittle. <laughs> you know, Jesus is like, what are they doing? And, you know, and he's not like, you know, they're eating Skittles. Let them, just let them eat those Skittles and get cavities and their teeth will fall out and then they'll know. No, dude, Jesus is like, I am going to come down and I'm going to do something. I'm going to rescue them and make a way out of this sin, this spiritual disease that results in anxiety and depression, greed, selfishness that tears families apart, that attaches our value to our achievements so that when that achievement doesn't go the way we thought, we lose our identity and we go into an existential crisis. Because who am I if I don't have my sport? Who am I if I can't have this house? And we go into a crisis because our identity and our self is rooted in a material thing and you're an eternal creature made for God to live with him forever and you're trying to fill your heart and soul with Skittles. I wanted to share a quick story from Lucy Listen to Lucy, Mia's friend, describe her life without God. She says this, I grew up in a Christian home where Jesus was talked about often and faith was a part of my upbringing. But about seven years ago, my parents got divorced and we didn't talk about Jesus as much in my teenage years. FYI, parents, teenagers need to hear about Jesus 
their whole life. And they need you to pray with them and talk to them about Jesus more as teenagers. Yeah, they're driving and they don't need you to drive anymore, but they still need you spiritually. As I grew up, I got a job and the tradition of church on Sunday got lost. Pay attention to that. I lost focus on God as the center and I got caught up in worldly things. What does that mean? It means God is not the center of my life, which means I'm replacing God's presence with Skittles. You get what I'm saying? I'm, I, you know, I don't, okay, I don't have God, but you know, actually, I'm feeling pretty fine. I'm, I bet you could go for a few days on Skittles and be just fine. Maybe even be happier. Oh my gosh, no more asparagus. Oh my gosh, no more orange juice. I'm so glad. And maybe you're just drinking, you know, Red Bull and Skittles, and you're feeling pretty good for a while. <laughs> hey, you're even feeling more energy, making new friends with your Skittles. Everybody wants to be your friend because you've got so many Skittles, they want to hang out with you. But listen, eventually, that's worldly things. When I was 18, I moved to San Francisco where I've been for two years, and I came to realize that it wasn't where I'm supposed to be. In the past few months, I became very depressed. I felt lost and lost connection to the things that inspire me and light me up and who I was overall. I was missing God's guidance in my life and was lacking joy that he brings to every situation. Listen, when you lose touch with God, you are losing yourself. When you lose touch with God, you are losing touch with yourself. When you try to find yourself and define yourself without Jesus, you are losing yourself. And you will always end up with an identity that is so much beneath what you were made for because you were made for God's glory. How can you come up with anything that compares with that? I mean, seriously. It's just monopoly money. And what's so amazing about this story is the way that she comes back into relationship with God. So we talked about believing and receiving that by Jesus' death on the cross, Jesus entered death to rescue us out of this lostness because what Jesus did was he took our place. His death on the cross reveals the Father's love and his death on the cross absorbs the consequence of our sin, our death. Now this absorbed thing, this is, a fan, this is a simple word for a theological term called substitutionary atonement. What that means is Jesus substituted himself for you and me on the cross. Okay, let me explain this. You were walking across the street, and out of nowhere, someone just plows into your back, throttles you to the ground. All your groceries go everywhere, and you're face planted in the ground. How are you feeling right now? Feeling stoked? I mean, seriously, okay, I need a good, good wake-me-up once in a while. No, you're bummed. You are mad. You're like getting up with your fists up. You're ready to fight. You know, until you see the carnage of a person who pushed you out of the way of a moving bus. Now it's like, whoa. You're, you went from mad to like shock. Like this person ran up behind me, shoved me out of the way from getting hit by a bus. That's why I was pushed. And all of a sudden, this thing that at first felt threatening 
you're not resenting it anymore. You're like, that saved my life. When the Bible calls out our sin, it's, it's like that push. You have sin. You are facing imminent danger. If you die without God in this life, it becomes permanent. And Jesus saw that bus coming to hit every one of us, and he jumped in front of that bus, shoving us out of the way and taking the full impact of that death and eternal alienation from God on himself, on the cross, to the point where he even cries out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's what Jesus was doing. He was absorbing the impact of that separation from God in his body, his emotions, and in his spirit. And receiving this changes everything for us. That Jesus has done something for you that you could never do for yourself. Gives us a new identity. I am God's son, and it gives us a new purpose. And that takes us into this last thing about being raised with Jesus and joining him in his great work. Listen to what Paul says here. Paul in 28, he says, he is the one we proclaim. Now we know why. Admonishing and teaching everyone with all the wisdom so that we may what? What? Present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. This is Paul's new purpose. And this is part of this raised life where we don't just get saved from something, our sin and death. We get saved for a new life, which is about working with Jesus to bring the message of the gospel, the good news, that we are not accidental byproducts of an impersonal natural force in the cosmos, but we were made by a loving creator who loves us and died to restore our relationship with him. We get to be messengers of that good news. And that is your new purpose. Whatever purpose you have to be a good student, to be a great athlete, to be a good parent, to what? What is it for you? What's your purpose today? This is the purpose over all purposes. And this is not some heavy duty or burden. This is an insane privilege. You get to show up to people's front doors and tell them they won the lottery. Listen to this. This comes from, can we go to the slide with the picture of Mia and Lucy? Here's Mia. She got baptized. Ah, and here's Lucy. Lucy, on Easter, stood up and received Christ. As, as Mia was standing there praying for her friend, right, Lucy stood up and surrendered her life to Jesus. And this is what she said. This is her own words. We asked her to share, what does this mean for you now that you follow Jesus? This is what she said. I stood up, and it takes a lot for me to surrender there was nothing else to do but give my life to God again. I want my purpose to be a messenger of his love. So if anyone can be touched by him through me, that's the goal. That's the goal. I want to invite the band to come on out. As the band comes out, Paul is talking to us right now. And he's saying, look, when you, when you believe in Jesus and receive him, 
and receive his death for us, it's so that we can enter into his life. And participating in Jesus' life is it's not just about being a good person or a kind person. It's about allowing our life to take on the priorities that Jesus' life carries. And as he said to Mia, we are not leaving everyone behind. We're going to revive them. Joining Jesus is about joining his work to invite others like Lucy, putting our reputations on the line, like, you know, risking some awkward moments with our friends and say, God, they're in my life because you love them. And through me, you want to reach them with a message that is going to change their life forever. This, this right here. This is the gospel that Jesus has done for us what we could never do, giving us what we could never get on our own, a new identity, a new purpose. And by placing your faith in him, the dignity of our identity and our purpose in life, it gets raised up, right? It gets raised up out of Skittles land. It gets raised up, you know, out of the little things that we've gotten so attached to that Jesus is like, I know it feels good now, but it's not big enough for you because you were made for him. As we go into this song, we're going to come out and do communion, and I want to invite you what communion means for you today. Taking communion today represents in some way, whatever way in which you want to open your life to God. For some of us, you've never done that before, and maybe today is you saying, Jesus, I want to know you more. I don't know if I believe in this whole thing yet, but I want, I'm curious, and I want to know more. Maybe for others of us, it's, I've had a taste of heaven, God, and I want more. Where are you? Let's take a moment and prepare ourselves. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things. Jesus' death on the cross and the good news is everything is going to get in on this new resurrected life. You, me, and get this, all of creation, all the things in the world that are so beautiful but just not right, like storms and disasters and cancer and death, all of it is going to be made new. And it's going to be raised up into this new life that Jesus alone was able to achieve because of who he uniquely is as the Son of God. The maker of all things saw the brokenness of his creation and didn't just wad it up and throw it in the trash. He entered into the story and he absorbed in himself the disease that was ravaging his beloved creation, taking on himself and doing what we could not do. Whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. When we do communion, it represents uh, our reminding ourselves of what Jesus did and that our life now is new. We have died and there's a new life that we are living as followers of Jesus because of what Jesus did. It reminds us of his life, his death, and the radical new life that we are living. And maybe for some of us today, taking communion represents your desire to have peace with God. Maybe peace with yourself, peace 
with some person in your life. Maybe your body is eating itself up from the inside out. And your cry to God is, God, make peace in my body. Make peace between me and you. God, make peace between me and my brother. Make peace between me and my spouse and my neighbor. Make peace with my own thoughts, God. Jesus died to reconcile and make peace all things. All things. So I want to invite you to stand. And by taking communion today, you're, you're saying, God, I want to open my life to you. For some of us, maybe you've never done that before. And this moment represents a step toward God, just like God into your life. All right. Take out the top plastic layer. And this little guy right here represents the body of Christ. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he lifted up this piece of bread and he tore it. And he told his disciples, this is my body broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. Let's eat this and remember Jesus taking the hit for us. Well, and then he lifted up a cup full of wine. And he said, this wine represents the blood of the new covenant. My blood shed for the forgiveness of your sin. This is like the ultimate healing agent. When you take in Jesus' blood by putting your faith in him, he heals us of everything that in our past, our present, and our future that could separate us from the Father's love and being in relationship with him and being who we were made to be. As you drink this, it represents your desire to know that forgiveness in your life, to know that healing, to know that cleansing presence of God. Let's drink this and remember Jesus' death. And Lord, I just bless us to go out here, up here today, as messengers of your good news. God, for some of us, I pray that you would help us cross over that threshold into believing. For others, Lord, it's receiving what you've done. And still yet, for others of us, God, I pray, renew our commitment to join you this week, to pray for our dear friends, to pray for our family, God, to be a part of what you're doing, to bring others into relationship with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you guys. Go out and be raised up in Christ.